On this week's podcast episode, I have a very real and raw conversation about grief and loss with Marissa Renee Lee, the author of Grief is Love, Living with Loss. We have a very deep and transparent discussion about how to experience grief and loss and how to help others that are experiencing it as well. And I will tell you that there is next to nothing that you can say that's really going to make someone feel better when the worst thing in the world has just happened to them. Um, And I have a lot of words on grief out there in the world, and I don't advise you to use any of them. Uh, Definitely avoid platitudes, but really what you say, I think is so much less important than what you do. Hi, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting, family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and you'll have fun. Marissa, thank you so much for being here today and for spending time with us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I've been wanting to talk to you for some time now. I just first got so intrigued with your new book that just came out, what, a couple months ago um, called Grief is Love, Living with Loss, which is something I think that a lot of us deal with on a regular basis, um, or if not us ourselves, if we haven't gone through a grief or loss ourselves, which I feel like most of us have at this point in life, that we know someone else that has. And I think it's a topic that isn't talked about a lot because I think people are scared of it. People don't know how to um, talk about it. And so that's why we're here today. And I'm glad that you wrote a book about it for people to have as a resource and that we can openly talk about it and have a real conversation about it. Well, thank you. I obviously agree with all of that. Um, I am trying to do my part to normalize grief and loss for everyone, because unfortunately, it's something we're all going to have to deal with at some point. Absolutely. So let's just dive right in. Um, I have lots of questions for you, and I feel like there's just a lot to, to go over. So let's just start with this. In your book, you say that healing does not mean moving on after losing a loved one. Healing instead means learning to acknowledge and create space for your grief. Will you explain that a little more and tell us a little more what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, First of all, it took me over a decade to arrive at that conclusion after losing my mom. And the reason why I ended up landing on that definition of healing is because you know, so often in our narratives around grief and loss, you know, people talk about moving on and letting go and getting over it. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, what what does that actually mean? Like, what does it mean to get over the fact that, you know, I had this amazing relationship with my mother for 25 years and a few weeks after I turned 25 and 10 days after she turned 49, she died. So like, what, what am I supposed to do in order to get over that? It's not like you have some magic eraser that can remove all of the memories of the good times and the history of that relationship and the love that was shared. And so if you can't get rid of the memories 
or frankly, the fact that so much of who you are is also a reflection of that person and your relationship with them. How does healing equate to getting over it? Instead, can we view healing as the process of figuring out how Marissa continues to live like a big, full, joyful, happy, interesting, exciting life without that mother in it actively in this world? And that's what I think is missing. That's one of the things that I think is missing from conversations around grief and loss. You know, the research tells us that one of the best ways and one of the healthiest ways to cope with the loss of someone you shared in unconditional love with is to find a way to continue your relationship with them. It's called the continuing bonds theory. And it essentially argues that that is the healthiest way to move through the hardest parts of loss. You know, there's nothing in there about getting over it and moving on or letting go. It's all about moving through and figuring out how to live alongside the loss that you've experienced. Yeah. And I think that's hard. Even as a therapist, I've dealt you know, with some grief and loss um, with some of my own life and with some of my clients um, that I've worked with over the years. And I think that's the hardest part is working through it. And I think why it's hard is because people don't know how. And, you know, just, you know, talking about some research, you know, what we have online, if you look up grief, you see the stages of grief, right? Um, And there's a couple stages in there where you go through sadness and anger and, you know, some different emotions. And I personally don't think that life works that way. I don't think our emotions work that way. I think grief sometimes can sneak up on us when we least expect it. I think that we can go through stages, uh, waves, if you will, where, it hits us really deep and then it doesn't feel so bad for a little bit. And then we go back down into the valleys again. And what are your thoughts on the stages of grief and what does healing look like if we are moving through it? So the stages of grief is a really frustrating one. Um, It's something that a lot of people get caught up on. And I think it creates a lot of feelings of shame Um, and also this idea that you're not doing grief, right. You know, if you don't go through any of the stages, if you go through the stages, but not in that order, if you skip over some of them altogether. And I also think because, you know, you're, you're a parent and you deal with children a lot, both your own and others. When we think of stages, particularly in the parenting context, in terms of like young children, it's something that is in a sequential order and one thing naturally follows the next, you know, like the stages of childhood development, for instance. And in this case, that's just not how it works. And part of the reason why that's not how it works is because those stages were not intended for you, Kim, or for me, Marissa. Those stages were actually originally designed for individuals who were dying themselves. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, her original research was all about people who were dying from terminal illnesses. And so these were the stages that she would see them experience as they drew closer and closer to their own death. And so through some very strange game of historical telephone, we've been passed down this framework that actually wasn't created for us. And then I think creates a lot of problems for people. Yeah. And I agree with that. And I think that 
like you said, with even children in the parenting realm, children, there's no cookie cutter child. You know, there's no cookie cutter parent and grief is not cookie cutter. You can't just say, okay, I lost someone. Now I'm going to go through this stage or this stage. Like I said, it, it, everyone's a little different and everyone's going to go through it a little bit differently and experience it differently. Um, And that could even mean, you know, if someone passes away very quickly, could feel different than if someone's not expecting it. But if someone's going through a long terminal illness for months on end or a year plus, um, that could feel different. It could feel different on what age you are when you lose yeah. someone, you what know, age they are right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that's, that's the hard part, you know? So, um, you know, just something I want to talk about is kind of some myths that I want to dispel of what grief looks like or what going through grief looks like. Okay. And I think one thing that I feel like comes up a lot in my own work, and I know we were chatting about this before we started recording, was that you don't have to feel guilty if you have a good day. So let's say you lost someone, someone very important to you, and you are having a good day. And that guilt creeps in of, I shouldn't be feeling this way because I just lost someone. I just lost my mom. I just lost my husband. I just lost a child. And you feel like you shouldn't have a good day. That's where that shame comes in, right? Yeah. So how does someone, you know, from your advice and everything you've worked on for your book, what is your perspective on that when guilt creeps in? Because I feel like even just as a mom, guilt creeps in all the time, no matter what you do. (laughs) But when it comes to grief and loss, it's a much deeper feeling, right? So um, how how would you tell someone who's going through grief when guilt comes up? What how should they feel, or is that okay that they have a good day? So first of all, yes, it is okay to have a good day. Um, second, it's so funny. I actually was just discussing the concept of guilt with my therapist. Um, it's a question that I've been playing with uh, for another book that I'm writing, actually, um, and. I asked her, you know, does guilt ever really serve a purpose? Like, is it useful as an emotion? And she said, you know, technically we, as a therapist from like her framework, you know, view guilt as something that can be helpful for shifting behaviors. She said, but beyond that, it honestly doesn't really serve much of a purpose. And so if you apply that thinking and that definition of guilt and its utility to the question that you just asked, it's like, what about your behavior should you be trying to change? Like, why does it feel inappropriate for you to experience joy in the midst of grief? And I think when people start to peel back those layers for themselves, they usually end up arriving at something that looks like, well, if I'm if I'm doing okay, if I'm having a good day, if I'm doing something fun, you know, having some laughs with a friend, whatever it is, then that must mean that I've forgotten about this person that I've lost, that, you know, the loss didn't matter as much to me as I thought it did, that, you know, perhaps I didn't love them as much as I thought I did. And none of that is true. Like, I don't think I can be clear enough on this point. If you have lost someone you love and you happen to also experience a moment of joy or happiness or fun or levity, whatever you want to call it, There is nothing wrong with you. You are doing nothing wrong. You are human. Um, I will tell you to this day, one of the biggest laughs of my life came at my mom's funeral. We grew up in church. Like my mom was a Sunday school teacher. I was a Sunday school teacher, like very 
religious family. And when I was a child, we ended up shifting from a predominantly black church to a predominantly white church. So my mom died. I talked to the pastor who at that point was a close family friend. And, you know, I knew that my mom really wanted this gospel song sung at her funeral. And I said to him, you know, listen, like, I think it probably needs to be a black person who sings it. You know, like we had that candid conversation basically the day after my mom died. And he was like, I've got you. Don't even worry about it. So now we're sitting in the front row of the church. It's time for this lady to sing. And oh my God, she was the worst singer of any kind I have ever seen in my entire life. I am 41 years old. I have never seen anything like this before. And it was so shockingly terrible in this church full of hundreds of people that like all I could do was laugh. And so I'm laughing. Um, my cousin, who's like really bad at hiding laughter, like she's the person who laughs when you like fall and get hurt. She's laughing. My sister is laughing. My grandmother is trying to be like, you guys need to knock it off. But like, she's also kind of laughing too. And it was the most inappropriate and hilarious thing ever. And in that moment, I didn't feel guilty. You know, like I felt like I was giving myself a break. And it turns out, again, according to the research, you know, your body and your brain is really going through something when you experience a loss. Like there's an internal process that has to happen in order for your mind to make sense of what has just happened. And when we take breaks from our grief, that actually is an important part of the healing process. And so not only is it not inappropriate, not only do you not have to feel guilty, but when you have those moments of joy, you are helping yourself heal. I agree with that. And, you know, when we go through grief and loss, it is a trauma. It is a trauma that I feel like we we need to go through, we need to experience, like you said, we need to go through it and we need to feel it and give ourselves space to feel it and give ourselves, you know, that, that time to heal. But I feel like a lot of times I've had clients in the past come to me or even friends come to me and say, it's been five years or it's been 10 years and they put a timeline on it and they say, I should be over this by now. And like you said, you never really get over it. That's, that's the myth. But you know, they feel as if there's this pressure to get over a traumatic experience or a loss or whatever case may be that you're experiencing that that you should be over it in a certain amount of time. What are your thoughts on timelines? I mean, A, I, I know we both agree that there shouldn't be one, right? Yes. But if someone's going through that, what advice would you give them when it comes to that time frame? Because I mean, you could be, go through something 40, 50 years and still think about that, that time, you know, that anniversary when you lost that person or, you know, certain memories that just can't leave your, your, your brain, you know, that's going to happen and it could happen for 40, 50 years to come. And I feel like that's okay. And you can still grieve for as long as you need to, but what are your thoughts on it? It's more than okay. Um, so you, you have two kids. Do you remember the day that your kids were born? Absolutely. Like it was yesterday. And how long ago was that? I have a 10-year-old and a seven-year-old. So at least one's been a decade. (laughs) Exactly. And like, do you think you will ever, I mean, absent something terrible happening to you, like, do you think you'll ever forget those days? No, not at all. And so like, I, I bring up that comparison often because I want people to think about 
death and grief as just a life-changing moment. Like when you have these things that are like times that where your life as you know it to exist completely changes, you're going to remember that and you're going to have some feelings around it. Like, I don't know about you. My kid is only a toddler, but when we get close to his birthday, like I have feelings around that, you know, like I feel nostalgic. I feel happy. I feel a little sad that he's getting older. I feel grateful that he's, you know, no longer whining about this thing. It has got, you know, like it's, it's a mixed bag of emotions. And I know it's perfectly normal to have those feelings. So why shouldn't I have the same feelings, you know, when it's my mom's birthday, Sunday was my mom's birthday. She would have been 65. And for me, it is just honestly like mind blowing once again, how young she was when she died. And then next week I'll have the anniversary of her death. I never work on that day. Like that is, that is a policy that I've maintained even during my time working in the white house for president Obama, like do not talk to me on February 28th, just leave me alone. Um, and I'm okay with that. Like I used to be kind of embarrassed by it and it was more of a secretive thing but now I'm like no like I was there when my mom died like she had a seizure in my arms and then was dead a couple hours later like I don't have to work today yeah yeah and giving yourself that permission to take that day yeah and know that it's okay permission and then I will also say one of the things that I get personally hung up on because of my work as a policymaker in politics and around equity issues, like it is also a privilege. And I recognize that, you know, like even as a black woman, you know, not necessarily privileged in all things in this country, but I have real economic privilege. And I can say that I'm not working on February 28th, but not everybody has that. And so one of the other things that I just always want to challenge people around in conversations about grief and loss and healing is to think about the ways in which the resources that facilitate healing are not equally distributed in our society. You know, whether it's being able to take that day off for the anniversary or paid time off around the death of someone or being able to afford and having access to quality mental health care. You know, I've already mentioned my therapist in this chat. I've had one on and off since before my mom even died. And like that, unfortunately, is a privilege you know, being able to afford to have somebody else watch your kids so you can go drive around and cry if you want to. Like, they may not seem like privileges in the moment because of the grief, but at the end of the day, they are privileges. And I just want to make sure that we're all thinking about how to make sure that those things are accessible to everybody. 100%. And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the questions that I had written down, because I, I believe you talk about it in your book, is the cultural differences between uh, different cultures dealing with yeah. grief and loss and you know what that looks like. And what would you say that people reading your book or going through grief and loss should be aware of when it comes to cultural differences, um, ethnic differences, things like that? Uh, what, yeah. what should we, we be aware of of that? For me, the number one thing is definitely that piece around privilege, because I think it also extends into how different cultures approach grief and loss and like what is expected, normal, et cetera. Um, because some of what has evolved culturally is absolutely rooted in inequality. Um, and so I think I think making sure that people who are 
different from you have the supports that they need in their grief as well. Whether you're talking about someone who's Jewish and might need a different amount of time off from work in order to sit Shiva um, or someone who is poor and like, you know, maybe you know that they don't have the resources to take time off from work. So is there something you can do to make work easier for them? If you're a colleague, you know, taking things off their plate, that sort of thing. Um, Thinking about someone who might be of a different faith and, you know, asking them questions about how you can best show up for them, given you know that their needs are different from yours or better yet, doing some research on your own to figure out how you can best support them. You know, I will never forget, I was, I just turned 14, I was in eighth grade and um, one of, I mean, truly like my best friend at the time and close family friend, her father got in a car accident on the way home from work, got into an argument with the individual and he was shot and killed. Um, and he was Jewish, which, you know, I was young, but like, I knew that. And I didn't realize that meant that like his funeral was happening like the next day, basically, you know, like I got picked up from school, spent the night at my girlfriend's house after her father had been killed by some random stranger. And then the next day, my dad brought clothes for me to wear to this man's funeral. And I like, it was just. I mean, my head was spinning. Like there were so many things about the experience that were overwhelming for a kid. And then also, you know, to all of a sudden be like, okay, and now we're like moving into the next phase and then it's over and I'm bringing you back to school for the Valentine's Day dance. Like it was, it was so wild. Um, And so I think just being mindful that not every culture or every family does things the same way that you do, Um, but there will always be opportunities to provide support. Absolutely. So, uh, so based on what you were just sharing, I think something that comes up a lot is even how to respond to someone when they're going through grief and loss. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, what your advice is for, you know, if someone's dealing with grief and loss, you know, and then they're trying to heal. And, you know, I, I feel like in the past, sometimes, you know, my friends and I have tried to, you know, create like a meal train and it's, oh, yeah. it's been rejected. I don't want your, your pity. I don't want you to feel bad for me. I don't want you to do anything for me. Yeah. You know, your every, everything seems to be rejected and you think, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, from your perspective and your advice, how do you show up for someone else that's going through grief and loss? Um, if you don't know what to say, or you don't know what to do yeah. or, you know, how to handle that, what would be your suggestion? So first of all, I wrote a book on grief and I will tell you that there is next to nothing that you can say that's really going to make someone feel better when the worst thing in the world has just happened to them. Um, And I have a lot of words on grief out there in the world and I don't advise you to use any of them. Uh, Definitely avoid platitudes, but really what you say, I think is so much less important than what you do. And I think you can tailor what you do based on the person and your experiences with them. Like, you know, your friend didn't want the meal train, but I'll give you sort of my buckets. And I think something else in there could have worked for her. So big picture show up often and indefinitely, you know, like I still get cards in February, memories about my mom, people checking in, you know, snacks being sent to the house, that sort of thing. And February 28th will be 16 years since my mom died. So like keep showing up big picture. And then I think of 
showing up in three different buckets. So the first bucket is just physically being there. You know, when that incident happened and I was an eighth grader, uh, you know, the school knew that I was close with my friend and the family. They had me picked up from school. As soon as I got home to my parents' house, my mother picked up the phone and called my friend Jillian and handed me the phone. And I remember saying, what am I supposed to say? And she said, you know, tell her you're sorry and you'll be there soon. So just like physically being present and this, I mean, this was, this was a long, long time ago, but it's still, it's still an experience that I reflect back on because it absolutely set the foundation for how I continue to show up for people today. <clears throat> it was not easy as a kid going to somebody's house, knowing that their dad left for work yesterday and he's never coming home again. Like it was awful, but we sat and we watched 90210 and ate cookies And like, that's what we did. And then for me, when Matt and I lost a much wanted pregnancy in 2019, I like, I couldn't even talk about it because what had happened was so unimaginable. But three of my roommates from college who lived in the area showed up with Chinese food and bourbon and homemade cookie dough. And we watched American Ninja Warrior. And like, I don't even know if I ate. I know I definitely drank. Um, (laughs) That was all we did. There was no, there was no discussion. Like everybody knew it was like beyond words. So we just sat and watched this random, super random, but definitely entertaining show. So just showing up and being with someone when they are in it can make all the difference in the world. Uh, The second piece, which you already touched on, Kim, is this idea of practical support. You know, whether it's the meal train or, you know, sending them a gift card for like a Seamless or Uber Eats or something like that, picking up their kids from school, walking their dog, scheduling a cleaner to come by and like clean the house, whatever. Something in that practical realm, that's really important because like I said before, your brain is literally consumed by grief and processing. And so it makes normal activities just a lot harder. And when we went through, you know, both our pregnancy loss and then um, most recently the loss of Matt's mom, people not only sent like meal gift cards, they also thought to send food that could be frozen so that if there were a lot of people doing the same thing, you know, we could have it at a different point. So Providing some form of practical help, I think, is really important. And then the third category, and maybe this is the one that your friend would have enjoyed, is giving them something to smile about. Back to your first question about joy. Um, Either giving them something that, you know, reminds them of their relationship with the person who's no longer here, or perhaps a gift that reminds them of who they are outside of this situation. So when we had our pregnancy loss, one of my girlfriends um, sent a box of really fancy cheese and snacks from our favorite store in New York City. You know, like she and I had been there a million times over the years. We've shared, you know, so many cheese plates and she was like, everybody's going to send you wine because we know you can drink now, but like I'm taking care of the snacks. Somebody else sent us, um, this was so ridiculous, 50 taco stands. We have an annual park Christmas party every year called Tacos and Baby Jesus that's connected to my mom. And they knew that I needed a push 
to have that taco party after the pregnancy loss. And so, you know, when those taco stands showed up, it was kind of like, all right, I guess we're having the party, even though I don't feel like it. Um, so just thinking of, you know, what is the thing that's going to bring a smile to their face, no matter what they're in the middle of today, I think can be really helpful. And then the last thing that I'll say is when someone is deep in grief, you don't want to ask them how you can help because odds are they aren't even going to know because they just aren't even thinking straight. And so one of the things that I've been doing lately with my father-in-law, my mother-in-law passed away the end of September um, after a lengthy battle with breast cancer. Um, I've been sending him text messages with like a menu of options. Like here's four things that I can do for you this week. Pick one. Some, some weeks he doesn't pick one. And on those weeks, like I just keep following up anyway, uh, just to like check in, see how he's doing, sending him a picture of his grandson, you know, that kind of thing. Other weeks he'll say, you know what? Yeah, I would like to have like pizza delivered during the Packers game or whatever. Um, so just keep showing up because this shit is really hard. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like if you ask, most people are going to maybe reject the the offer for whatever reason, maybe because yeah. they feel like they're putting you out, you know, and they're going through this. It's not your problem. It's mine, you know, yeah. or for whatever reason. And I feel like it's really hard for people to ask for help. I, I say that a lot about yes. moms, you know, how moms, it's really yeah. hard for us to ask for help sometimes. And I feel like- So silly. Right? It, it, but it's it helps so much. And so I feel like the, the piece about following up is great. And then just- doing it even. And, and even if you give yeah. them a $50 Uber Eats gift card and they never open it, at least you feel like you did something and it's there yes. if they want it even two years from now if they expire or not. But it's <laughs> something that, you know, they get a card in the mail and they yep. they may or may not even tell you that they received the card in the mail or, or respond to that gesture. But the fact that you did it, I feel like still means a lot. And I feel like even if you give them a week or two and then you follow up again or whatever the case is, but like you said, keep showing up is the biggest thing. And it's not just about what you say, it's about what you do. Because um, like I said, it's hard for people to come out and ask for help. Like, I need this. I need you to pick up my kids from school. I need you to make me a meal because I can't think straight and I'm crying so hard. I can't even see the pots and pans. It's hard to ask for that. And it's hard to even, like you said, define what we need. So I think- And I think, I wrote about this in Grief is Love. I think it's hard to ask for help because we have stopped normalizing like what it means to be in community with other people. Like at the end of the day, there is very little that anyone actually accomplishes truly completely on their own. But we have this idea of like, you know, American independence, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do it all yourself that I don't actually think is rooted in reality. Like there would be no Barack Obama without Michelle Obama and like Valerie Jarrett getting a bunch of wealthy people in Chicago together to support this young man. There would be no Jeff Bezos and like Amazon as we know it without his parents who gave him a $250,000 loan to start Amazon in the beginning. You know, like we like think everybody does everything on their own, but like they don't. Um, Whether the labor is free or paid, we all need help. And I just want to normalize that a bit. Absolutely. I have two more questions for you. I know we're almost out of time, but I just, I love our conversation. So you brought up a a couple different types of losses, 
uh, a pregnancy loss, the loss of your mother, um, people experiences different losses all the time. And I know that something that comes up a lot is, you know, sending someone to a group grief counseling type session because they I, I feel like the research has shown as has, has shared that grieving together is healthy because you can both lean and glean off of each other's experiences yep. and things like that. But then there's other people out there that may think that let's say you bring up your grief, Marissa, and your experience to me. And then I say, oh, I experienced something similar to that. And then I start sharing my experience that my experience and my input invalidates your experience. And it might be invalidating to say, well, I was just sharing about mine and I just need you to listen. I just want to, you know, share about mine. I don't want to hear about your grief. You know, I want to share about my grief, you know, and there's an invalidation or, you know, um, that you may be showing less empathy if you do that. What are your thoughts about that? And not that we can compare each other's griefs, not that one's worse than the yeah. other, but how does grief show up differently? Like how did your, the grief of losing your mom compare, or that's probably even the wrong word, but show up differently yeah. than the loss of your child, your pregnancy loss. Both were grief, both yeah. were probably experienced very differently, but how would you just describe that to others if they're going through grief and you want to share a different type of grief with someone else? And is that invalidating? Yeah. Should we just listen more? Or what are your thoughts? I know that was a very loaded question. Yeah. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, so first of all, I think we should all listen more. Um, that is like writ large in all things, uh, not just in like the grief and healing space. Um, second, I always try to discourage people from playing what my girlfriend, who is also a therapist and a grief expert, Dr. Lizzie Cleary calls the trauma Olympics. Like if you are in a place where you feel like all you want to do is talk about your own experience, then I would discourage you from joining a grief group and encourage you instead to focus on one-on-one counseling, you know, more traditional therapy support, because, you know, at different points in the experience, you are going to need different things. Like today, I don't need to spend a lot of time in one-on-one therapy talking about the loss of my mom, but that's also because I've processed it a lot over the last 16 years, including processing it enough to write a book. Um, But there were times when that is absolutely what I needed. And I probably would have felt resentful, like sharing the stage, so to speak, with someone else. Um, And I do think every loss hits a little bit different. The loss of infertility and then later the pregnancy loss, for me, it also forced me to like re-grieve the loss of my mom because I will tell you the day when I was like really in it with the pregnancy loss and super sick. Like I just can remember being curled up on the bath mat, um, on the bathroom floor at our old house. And like, I could barely pick my head up off the floor when at one point, like my husband, like opened up the door to like check on me. And like, I like, I like could barely even look at him and all I wanted was my mom. Um, And so I think it's important for people as losses accumulate to give yourself space to process all of it 
even if that includes, you know, reprocessing of a prior loss. Because all of that is ultimately what led me to write Grief is Love. You know, it was through losing this pregnancy and being in this place where, you know, we didn't have a plan. We didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know if we could afford adoption after spending all of this money on IVF for years and years. And I was physically sick and so exhausted. And all I wanted was my mom. And in that moment, I realized like I wasn't quote over it. I would never get over it. Like there are are always going to be things that are going to happen in my life, good and bad, that are going to make me wish that my mom was here to share them with her. And I wrote an article about that for Glamour, and it went viral and led to a deal to write Grief is Love. Um, So let yourself feel all of the things and process all of the things because it's all important. And one last thing that I want to say on that, because this is also really important to me, I don't think we should be talking about grief and loss only around death and dying. You know, whether it's a serious illness, infertility, the loss of a marriage, the loss of a job or a career that you believed was for you, all of it is a form of grief. You know, at the end of the day, I think anytime a future that you had reasonably expected doesn't come to pass, that is a grief event. You know, when you get married, you don't get married thinking we'll probably get divorced someday. You know what I mean? Like that's like that, that's a loss. That's real. Um, And so I hope that by having more conversations about grief and loss, we can open up the door for people to heal from all forms of loss. Absolutely. This has just been such a um, powerful conversation. I appreciate everything that you've said. I appreciate the book that you wrote about being so transparent and vulnerable with with everybody who's listening right now and everyone <laughs> who's reading your book. Um, I want to just end on a hopeful note. What is the hope and what do you want people to leave after they listen to this podcast and after reading your book? I want people to know that they are okay. You know, no matter where you are in your grief journey, if you're still sad about a loss that occurred a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, from time to time, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you are fully human. And I think the the faster we are at accepting grief and loss as just a normal part of life, the less likely we are to get hung up on it, which then opens up more space for healing and laughter and joy. And so I hope that I hope that listeners will walk away understanding that joy is healing and grief is normal. Yeah. Well said. Thank you, Marissa. Where can people find you for more um, information, inspiration, and where can they find your book to buy it? You can buy Grief is Love just about anywhere. Uh, Target, Barnes and Noble, of course, Amazon, Bookshop, all the places. Uh, You can find me online on all platforms as Marissa Renee Lee. Most of my content is on Instagram, but I am toying with a sub stack. So head to my website and sign up for my newsletter so you don't miss out. Thank you for being here, Marissa. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining me today. I cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes. If you are a new listener, I recommend starting at my best of year one episode first. Then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And when you love an episode, please leave a review. And if you want to stay connected between episodes, please visit me on social media at The Parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.